Hi, Graham. Let's, let's invite you to come up here. We are very blessed to have uh, guest speakers to come and uh, uh, speak and provide different perspectives and most likely a different tone of skin color. Um, <laughs> it's like, and uh, just to provide some variety, I know that um, like, uh, we've been receiving, I've been receiving a lot of good feedback from all of you, that you appreciate the different perspectives that are coming up uh, that uh, the, our speakers provide. So we, this, uh, today we have Graham uh, McCarthy come and uh, speak to us on uh, Luke chapter 4. And before he begin, let's pray for you, Graham, and uh, we'll start. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our brother Graham. Uh, thank you for blessing us uh, with his presence. And Father, we pray for your anointing spirit to be upon him, to fill him with uh, your words. Lord, we know that uh, during his preparations, your spirit guided his heart. And Lord, I pray that well, whatever he says, it's your words, and that we'll be open, open our minds and hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we'll place it here. Yeah, sounds great. All right, thank you, Jonathan. Oh, yeah, I don't really use the stand. Um, hello, everybody. Uh, oh, good, good, I like this already. Um, you know, as it said, my name is Graham McCarthy. Um, I work at Union Gospel Mission. I uh, work with kids and youth there. I'm a children and youth outreach worker. Um, and I'm a student at the Vancouver School of Theology, which is a, which is a theological college on the UBC campus. And I went to Prairie Bible Institute um, for my bachelor's degree. So just so you know, I'm a guy who has learned some stuff. And I'm not just a guy showing up um, for fun. Um, but I might not be able to show up again. Because what I'm about to say is something that is subversive and provocative. It's something that not everybody can get behind. And, and something that offends a lot of people. I'm a first-time preacher here, right? And so this is risky business to share this with you as an opening illustration because of just how polarizing this is. And I may never be invited to back because of this. What you're about to hear may change and shape the way that you think about me, and I think that's okay because I know that I'm right and that my way of doing this is one that is principled in peace and community. But even though it really is the best and most holy way to live, Many of you are going to be hugely offended. And with that in mind, are you ready to hear it? Okay, thank you. This is, I like this. Okay, here goes. I am the kind of person who takes French fries off of other people's plates. All right? The reactions I get when I do this, yeah, no, I'm seeing this right now. The reactions I get when I do this are, are wild. Some people are fine sharing french fries with me, but I've also received some of the dirtiest looks I've ever seen when I take french fries off of a friend's plate. And I have never been more hated than the moments that I've done this. If you want to see the worst in somebody who you thought was kind, take a french fry off of their plate and see what their reaction is. But I do this because my principle is that food is for sharing. On principle, I will never be upset when you take a french fry off of my plate because I know everybody's got to eat. And food is one of our society's biggest community builders. Like, think about it. What do you do after church? You go for lunch. What do you do before you go to a concert? You go out for supper. What do you do on a first date or, or meeting a friend you haven't seen in a while? You share a meal with each other, big or small, and in doing so, you share a big part of your life. So when I take a french fry off of your plate, what I'm doing is building Christian community. <laughs> so hate me if you will, 
but I eat French fries <laughs> off of other people's plates because I know that sharing food is sharing life and I am a Christian and that is what Christians do. So if you'd open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, we're going to look at Luke chapter 4 today. Um, and we're going to look at especially verses uh, 14 through 30. Today we're looking at a passage that will be pretty familiar to us, actually, happening at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, immediately following his 40 days of fasting and temptation in the wilderness. And this is a really beautifully formulated passage that follows a clear and poetic structure. First, Jesus makes a proclamation. And then the people respond. And then again, Jesus makes a proclamation. And then again, the people respond. This proclamation response, proclamation response structure really draws me into the story and helps me place myself in the crowd that is listening to Jesus speaking. This passage is also where Jesus' ministry really takes off as it begins with a really normal and regular occurrence and it ends with violence and anger. It references many Old Testament passages and it really shows us that the Bible is all one big story and Jesus is the climax and finality of it. Today, as we look at this passage, we're going to see that Jesus is proclaiming that his message is for all people, including our enemies and those that we hate. So this is Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through to 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everybody praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you'll quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So, Lord, let the words from my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. This passage opens up with something that is actually very normal. 
There really is nothing unusual or notable about what is happening here. We read that Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Okay, so this is Jesus' hometown. This is his home synagogue, and he's about to read the Hebrew scriptures that the people here in the synagogue from every week. This was his custom, just like how your custom, I assume, is showing up to church on Sundays. And this might not happen for all of you every Sunday, but you all showed up today and nobody batted an eye. You all read together from the Bible, you all sang songs together, and you're all sitting down and listening to a guy talk to you about Jesus, just like what happens all the time here at Crucible Church. This is basically what Jesus is doing. He's just going to the synagogue in his hometown with his family, and it's his turn to do the reading. And I think we often gush about what follows in this passage. We see Jesus proclaiming that he's Messiah, the one that God sent to heal the world. And we see it as a wildly subversive part of his ministry. And, and it is, it is. But, but what we read here is perhaps the most normal part of Jesus' ministry. In the rest of the book of Luke, we notice that a major theme is that crowds are consistently following Jesus, trampling over each other just to get to him. But this moment, though important, is the calmest part of the Gospel of Luke. But of course, interesting things always start in the middle of something normal. And from this moment, things start to heat up. And so we have this proclamation-response, proclamation-response structure. We're going to enter into that with Jesus' first proclamation. And it's a proclamation that should be familiar to the people. They hear the words of the prophets all the time in the synagogues. Much like how this story may be familiar to all of you who frequent church, this passage will be one that ignites the people's hope. They may know that there is a Messiah coming, and they may know that God will heal this broken world, and they want to receive that gift. And when Jesus is reading this passage, he's proclaiming to Israel what God wants to do with God's world. Now, there is some debate around this passage and other passages in Isaiah that we would, might call the Messianic prophecies. Some scholars say that even though Jesus reads this passage and attributes it to himself, that this passage isn't really about Jesus at all. Yes, Jesus takes it and he, and he runs with it to kick off his ministry, but Jesus wasn't around when this passage was first written. And the people hearing it understand it differently. They might understand it differently. Some scholars say that, that what Isaiah wrote to Israel is all about Jesus, pointing forward to a Messiah. And other scholars say that this passage is all about Israel itself, pointing inward to Israel's calling. And Israel's calling is this. Let me remind you that they're blessed to be a blessing to the world. We see this in the story of Abraham where God promises to him, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. And from Abraham came all the offspring that made the family and people of Israel. This is why the Jews were called God's chosen people. Not because God chose them over everybody else in the world, but because God chose them to share God's self with the world. Israel was intended to be a missionary people proclaiming the love and the grace of God to everybody they encountered. 
So this passage from Isaiah that Jesus read where he says the spirit of the Lord is on me could very well be a little dig at Israel who has not been fulfilling their calling. Jesus might be saying the spirit of the Lord is on me to do the work that you were called to do. You were to give good news to the poor. You were to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. You were to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And now I have been sent to finish this work. He's turning Israel's calling a little bit around on itself, telling them that they really haven't always been on the right track. Now, there are these different interpretations of Isaiah, but the end result here in Luke is the same. No matter the original intention of the author of Isaiah and no matter the perspective of the listeners, Jesus is claiming that this is about him. And no matter the original intention or the perspective of the listeners, Jesus is correct. If Isaiah is speaking about Jesus, Jesus is now here to proclaim good news to the poor. If Isaiah is speaking about Israel, then Jesus is here to proclaim that Israel's blessing to bless the world is now going to be fulfilled, and that is good news. Both are beautiful, and both are exciting. And so Jesus has made that first proclamation, and now we're going to take a look at Israel's response. And the people's response really isn't anything special, but they're beginning to notice something special about Jesus. They're amazed at the, gracious lip, uh, at the gracious words that come from Jesus' lips, not the gracious lips. Uh, isn't this Joseph's son, they ask among themselves. Remember, Jesus is in his hometown and at his home synagogue, and the people know him because he grew up there. When I look at this, I imagine people who helped take care of Jesus from his childhood seeing him read the scroll, maybe thinking, my, what a fine young man this Jesus has become. The very first time I preached a sermon, it was to my home church. It was to the church that I grew up with most of my life, and it was a church that my dad had grown up in his whole life. And, and there were congregants that I preached to that babysat me, and that changed my diapers. Some were people who were formative in my teenage years, and some people didn't think I'd amount to anything. And when I preached my first sermon, people were pleased. What a fine young man this Graham has become. And this is the sort of scenario I just imagine Jesus in right now. Here's the thing. Us readers, we know a lot more about Jesus. <laughs> we know a lot more about Jesus than these, than these uh, listeners do. We know that Jesus has just been through 40 days of fasting in the wilderness to begin his ministry. We know from reading the Christmas story that in this same book that, that Jesus was born of a virgin and is God with us. And the people in the synagogue don't really know this. Maybe they know that Jesus was born to an unmarried mother, but they didn't know the gravity of this. They didn't know that Jesus was God with us, becoming human to live a perfect life without sin and bring healing to the world through his death and resurrection. And as far as they're concerned, Jesus is just another guy speaking up in front of the congregation. As far as they're concerned, Jesus isn't this Messiah that he will soon claim himself to be. And so let's move into the second proclamation that Jesus makes. And while the people are amazed at Jesus's words, they're so happy to see what a fine young man he's become, Jesus interrupts the banter. 
We usually look at this passage and think that when Jesus reads Isaiah is the juicy bit, but the juicier bit is coming after this interruption. Because Jesus is saying something that makes the people so angry that they want to kill him. And he does that by reminding them of two stories from their history, which we call the Old Testament. These are the words of Jesus. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. That's verses 24 through to 27. These are beautiful stories of, of God helping and serving the poor and the foreigner, which Jesus reminds the people of. And, and those listening to Jesus will be familiar, but let's briefly take a look at each of these stories so that we can be on the same page as they are. In 1 Kings 17, we read this first story. You don't need to go to it in your Bibles. I'm just going to give you a Coles Notes version. Uh, we read the first story that Jesus tells of Elijah with the widow at Zarephath, um, where Elijah finds a woman collecting sticks so that she can build a fire and make bread with the little flour and oil that she has so that her and her son can eat. Elijah proclaims the word of the Lord to them, and God ensures that they will never go hungry, even in a time of famine and drought. Elijah proclaims to her, the word of the Lord, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. They're in a drought and God takes care of a poor foreigner. In 2 Kings 5, it contains the story of, of Naaman the Syrian who was cured of leprosy after Elisha the prophet told him to dip himself seven times in the Jordan River. And after he does this, he's cured of leprosy. And he confesses faith and belief in the God of Israel as the one true God. <clears throat> he's a Syrian. He's not a foreigner. He's not an Israelite. And the point that Jesus is making with both of these stories is, is this. That the people of Israel did not accept what the prophets were saying. And they did not trust their God, but these foreigners did. There were many people hungry in the time of Elijah. And God reached out to a foreign widow to be certain that her and her son could eat. And there were many with leprosy in the time of Elisha, and God healed a man who was a foreigner, not an Israelite, not one of God's chosen people. And this led the man to have greater faith in the God of Israel than Israel did herself. Jesus has proclaimed this good news for the poor, the prisoner, the blind, the oppressed, and he's saying that this good news is for everybody. It's for all people, not only Israel. And now the people's second response to this good news that Jesus shares is one of anger and violence. They're so angry at this message that they try to drive Jesus off a cliff. And like, why is that? Didn't Jesus just share good news? Isn't the fact that this good news is for all people even better than if it were just for a particular people? Like, I'm sure thankful and happy that this good news is for me, even though that I'm not an Israelite. But the people in the synagogue are reacting severely against something significant. 
Jesus is saying that this message is for Israel's enemies. Israel right now is under oppression by Gentiles and have been under oppression, exile, and slavery on and off for thousands of years by Gentiles. And now all of a sudden, this guy arrives in the synagogue and tells them that the peace and the love of God is even for the people who have hurt them. They're hearing that God loves their enemies, and Israel's enemies are welcomed into Israel's family. They're angry because they don't want to share a table with somebody who steals their food. But as Jesus proclaims that this is good news to the Gentiles, Jesus chooses stories where Israel was faithless and the foreigner was faithful. He's been saying that this good news has always been for the foreigner and for the oppressed. And sometimes the foreigner was more responsive to the good news of God than the people who were supposed to be ambassadors for God's kingdom. In Jesus saying that this message is for Gentiles, he is reminding Israel that they're blessed to be a blessing to the world. The people's response in the synagogue tells us that they have clearly forgotten that calling. We thought that this was for us, they might be saying. And now you're telling us that it's for others? How can that be? We're God's chosen people. We belong to God, not some foreigner. This angers them so much that they try to kill Jim, Jesus. Not Jim. <laughs> they try to kill Jesus by throwing him off a cliff. But Jesus just walks away, knowing his word will not be accepted because a prophet isn't accepted in his own hometown. And he goes off to another town to proclaim this same message of freedom, healing, and the inbreaking of God's kingdom. And now we might look at this passage, we might still be a little confused. We might think that's, that's a weird response. Shouldn't they be happy that God is coming to heal the whole world? But if I'm going to be honest with you, I don't, I don't think we're a lot different than that crowd. I don't think we're much different than the crowd that tried to kill Jesus because his message was for people that they didn't like. Just look at the history of the church. right? We, we are a cold, sinful people, and we are so good at excluding others. Only 200 years ago, Christians used the Bible to condone slavery, oppressing the foreigner. Even today, some of our neighbors to the south are using a perversion of the Christian faith to condone a literal concentration camp on the southern border, detaining children and families in cages. On our own soil, the church has been complicit and active in the assimilation and genocide of First Nations people and we thought we were doing the Lord's work. And we might think to ourselves, that wasn't us, that wasn't, that wasn't our church, that wasn't my generation, but as the family of God, we inherit this, this atrocity. This, this is our inheritance, and we gotta do something about it. And I desperately wish that I could say that this was all in our past, but we are still active in the oppression of LGBTQ people. Many in that community hate the church, and for very good reason, because they've heard from us that, that God does not love them. And why pay attention to a God that hates you? Jesus was driven out of the synagogue because the people hated the people that Jesus said that this good news was for. 
And I'm sad to say it, but throughout the history of the church, and even today, I think Jesus would be driven out of many of our churches for the same reason. But, friends, let me proclaim to you the gospel to remind us of our calling. The good news is this, and this is for you. This is for you. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That Christ died for all people to bring healing to the whole world. That this is good news for us as much as it is for our enemies. Because while we were still sinners and enemies of God, Jesus died for us. That this gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for the salvation of everybody who believes, both Jew and Gentile. That nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither our fears today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is good news. It's good news for everybody. It's good news for you. It's good news for our enemies. Do we believe that? Is is the message that we share of God's love as broad and far-reaching as the message that Jesus shared? Do we preach the open and indiscriminate love of God? And if the message of God isn't for all people, if the gospel of Jesus isn't for the poor, if it's not for the oppressed, if it's not for the foreigner, if it's not for the LGBTQ community, if it's not for the indigenous or the black or the white or the Asian or the Hispanic, if it is not for all people, then it's not the gospel of Jesus. Now, now don't read this as an accusation. I'm sharing this with you to remind us of our calling and to remind you of the good work that Jesus has done in your life. Jesus has changed you. Jesus loves you and Jesus died for you. And it's because of that that you gathered here today. Jesus showed you a better way to live and and made a way for you to be with him forever. He defeated death and is coming again to bring final healing to this world that is so clearly broken and a world that he loves so much. This is a message for you. This is a message you've received. And as the friends and family of Jesus, we have been blessed to be a blessing to the world and to carry this message to everybody we encounter, including our enemies, including those who are different, including people we hate. We've been called to live our lives, to have our lives point towards Jesus in such a way that people want a piece of it. And we need to welcome people taking that French fry off of our plate. This is good news for you. And this is good news that's worth sharing. So I want to close with this reading again the words that Jesus read from the scroll of Isaiah. Listen to them and believe them because these are the words of our Lord. He's commissioned us to carry out his ministry of sharing the indiscriminate, self-sacrificial, reckless love of God that's for all people, especially our enemies. So these are the words of Jesus. They are not from me. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the mission of God. And we have the joy of joining God in that mission. Let's go out and act as if we believe in it. Amen.